Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Everyone from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Guy Marzarati in this week for Scott Schaefer. And today we have with us a woman who's poised to make history as California's first Muslim and Afghan American state legislator. She's declared victory in a district representing parts of the Bay Area in the state Senate. That is right. Aisha Wahab is here with us. She will talk about her path to office and what she hopes to do in Sacramento. But first, Guy, a historic announcement today from Speaker Nancy Pelosi. That's right. We heard from Pelosi on the House floor this morning announcing she will stay in Congress, but not in leadership. So she'll be continue to represent San Francisco, but obviously a historic day. She's already going to hand over the speaker gavel, but will not be the Democratic leader uh, going forward. And I thought, you know, listening to her remarks, obviously making reference to the work that she's done with three of the four presidents uh, that, that she's worked with. Um, but really a forward-looking address. She talked about unfinished business. She referenced serving kids who were born today who will be living into the next century. Clearly a theme in her work. Um, you've it's been, the children, baby. It's, it's all, about, all the children, about the children. About winning and the children. Right. So you've, uh, you've talked to a lot of her colleagues in the House and California's delegation. What have you been hearing today? I mean, from Democrats, just unrelenting praise. You know, I, they're heaping praise on her. I've had now multiple people, including Congresswoman Barbara Lee, call her uh, the best speaker ever. Um, and it's true. I mean, I think in recent history, at least, you can say that she has, on either side of the aisle, done a better job of holding the caucus together of, you know, if not winning, at least performing better than expected, like in this year's election. But perhaps the most remarkable thing, guys, is that she is sticking around. I think right. there had been a lot of speculation that she would not want to be in the minority at all and certainly not want to hang out uh, and be not in leadership. Pause the replacement derby. Put a halt on the for, for now, maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, there's already speak that Hakeem Jeffries from New York will be among leaders and Pete Aguilar. Oh, I mean, of, of for Pelosi's seat. I think that was already oh, starting yeah. to percolate. Locally. That is for sure. Yes, I think uh, Scott Weiner in particular, her daughter, uh, Christine Pelosi, all have their eyes on that seat, potentially former supervisor Jane Kim. So they're going to have to keep uh, keep it local for now. So now it's a fellow Californian who's going to, you know, potentially take the gavel uh, next year, Kevin McCarthy. But it's going to be a pretty slim House majority. You found out this week Republicans will gain control of the House, but there are still a few seats here in California yeah. that we're watching, particularly in the Central Valley. And I think why the margins matter is with a caucus that has shown itself as kind of fractious as Republicans have. All of those votes are going are gonna to matter for potential Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So we're at this point really watching the David Valadeo, Rudy Salas uh, race um, by Kern County. 
Valadeo still holds the lead. And then Adam Gray and uh, John Duarte really close, kind of going back and forth every day with the vote counts. That's um, another Central Valley awesome race. Awesome, the Central yeah. Valley. And we are still waiting for a couple of those SoCal races, but it doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of changing hands in California of congressional seats, which is fascinating. We should also mention... Winner was called in Los Angeles. Karen Bass will be the first black woman to lead uh, that giant city. And uh, uh, sort of, I'm sure, big disappointment for uh, Rick Caruso, who spent over $100 million of his own money. What do you think is going through his head right now? Or do you think it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire? You know, I think he got that race a lot closer than maybe some folks predicted at the onset. And the late votes, as we saw, like the have broken progressive in a lot of these cases in a strong fashion for Karen Bass. It seemed like her vote count was growing every day after Election Day. And we also got a mayoral result in San Jose, Matt That's Mahan right. uh, winning this week. County Supervisor Cindy Chavez conceding that race. So it's really Oakland, as far as big city mayoral races left in California, still really neck and neck between Lauren Taylor and Sheng Tao. Um, that's a, a ranked choice contest. I think after Cindy Chavez losing in the South Bay, Labor, like Cheng Tao going down would be two really high profile defeats in in mayoral contests. So that's really the top thing we'll be watching. We had district attorney in San Francisco decided this week. Brooke Jenkins uh, will get a new term. We're getting to the end. Risa, they're going to wrap up by Thanksgiving. That's all we can be thankful for. Okay. Okay. Well, there's still, as we said, some congressional races outstanding. We will continue to keep an eye on those. For now, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will chat with Hayward City Council member Aisha Wahab. She's uh, going to the Senate, we think. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here today with Guy Marzarati, and we are thrilled to welcome Aisha Wahab. She is a city council member in the East Bay City of Hayward and very likely to be the next state senator representing District 10, which stretches from Hayward to Sunnyvale in the Bay Area. Aisha, welcome to The Breakdown. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and we should say we're taping this Wednesday. Votes are literally coming Coming in while we're taping. But you do have uh, a pretty strong lead, and I guess... First question is, like, how has it been waiting? Because this is not a unique experience to your campaign. So many candidates are out there days, I don't know, our weeks guest, after. We should say our <laughs> guest last week, Will Rollins, was running for Congress, also waiting. He lost. He lost. So if you lose, it's our apologies. This show is cursed. <laughs> no, but- no, no, no. We're in the lead. We're in good shape. Is it stressful? Are you like sleeping with your phone sort of like taped to your face? Okay, so you know what 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 is very different from these elections to, let's say, four years ago for city council even, is that these elections, everyone gets their ballot a month early. 
right? So everyone has their ballot. And you almost want results day by day since the ballot drops, but that's not how it works, right? So you wait that whole month in anxiety and then that Tuesday night and you don't, nothing is really fully counted, right? So um, you just kind of, yes, anxious, your family's anxious, everyone's texting you, people are asking you questions, you're trying to do the math. Ours is a little bit more difficult too because we, we, crossover two uh, um, counties, counties yeah. right? And so we're trying to do the math, add it up, figure out how many ballots are left out. You know, it's it's, it's a little more complicated than most. Math. Did you get into politics to do math? I don't, don't you know what? Though. You know, the budget is a big math <laughs> yeah. problem that's right true, there sometimes. True, right? But then there's all this other stuff like hiring staff, you know, figuring out the lay of the land in the capital. That's kind of in a weird hiatus for you, I assume. Is it basically just like Show up December 5th and vote on the oil windfall tax? <laughs> no. Um, you know, it's actually funny. I, I came from orientation this morning. Um, so I was I was um, asked to come in and, you know, there was going to be a part two for me just because um, a lot of the senators that actually, you know, was very clearly they won early on. Um, so they already got their training. So I'm a little, to be honest with you, catching up. And so there's a little anxiety there. Uh, I'd have to quit my job, like give my formal notice once this is all said and done. Um, so when you work somewhere for many, many years, you kind of feel a little, you know, different, yeah. different emotions, right? Uh, so you're excited, nervous, a little scared of the new thing. And at the same time, you're a uh, bittersweet type of vibe for leaving as yeah. well, right? Um, but today was orientation. You know, you're talking about hiring people. Um, honestly, one of my biggest concerns were that, you know, how do I retain talent in the Bay Area when um, their salaries aren't as competitive, in the for, legislature yes. compared to, yeah. Especially for the amount of work that expected is expected. You know, you have weekend nights, you know, a lot right. of reading, a lot of policy, a lot of this and that. And, you know, they said that it's actually one of their biggest problems as well is retaining people. Yeah. And that's why you see so many people that almost look like they just got fresh out of college um, in these roles, right? Um, so we, we definitely want to retain some top talent, um, have some aggressive policies pushing forward. And, you know, it's a learning curve for sure. Yeah. But so was Hayward. All right. Well, let's go back to the beginning, your beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you were born in New York, and I mentioned that at the beginning you were, I think, the first or one of two first Afghan-Americans uh, elected when you were elected to the city council. But what brought your birth parents from Afghanistan to New York? Um, you know, my my parents, um, they left Afghanistan because of the Soviet invasion, right? It's something we we are constantly dealing with right now in the news as well. You know, Ukrainian refugees are dealing with this. Mm. Um, so they were genuinely looking for a better life and seeking political asylum. They came to New York City, as so many Americans have done. Um, but obviously, they did not, they weren't able to fulfill their American dream, if yeah. you will. Hmm. And I know your father was murdered when you, I think you were pretty young at yeah, the time. Shortly after I was born, yes. Shortly yeah. after you were born. Like, would you know anything about the circumstances or kind of what do you know about the his murder? I know it was an act of violence. Um, you know, it's a cold case. Um, I've actually tried trying to figure out, you know, if there's any additional information. And granted, it's been, you know, 30 plus years. And, um, you know, cold cases, they're still technically open. So they don't actually give you a lot of information. Was um, it like a street crime? Uh, yes. Okay. Right. Um, and so... Um, you know, he just a lot of the detectives that I spoke to said that we can't give you any more information than this. Um, and they have a cold case section. And it's very hard to do all of this, like from the Bay Area to right. New York. Right. Um, and so 
you know, it, it is what it is. You know, we've learned a lot from it. It's really deeply affected our lives, you know, considering that it happened 30 years ago and it's left its mark on both my sister and I. So um, I really do prioritize victims' rights because it's not just the individual that was affected, but even all the people around them and potentially for yeah. a longer period of time than just that particular action, um, as well as, you know, holding offenders accountable. So um, I'm pretty strong on that particular piece of it. Yeah, I've done a lot of reporting on that. And I know there's still a lot of work to do around survivors. Right. So you have an older sister then? She's yes. She's a little older than you. Um, and then your mother died not long after that, right? I mean, you guys were still pretty young. Yeah. And I'm not, I'll be honest with you, because, you know, this all happened when I was t- extremely little, right? Um, I I don't know all the details except for a lot of what was been told to me. Um, some of the stuff that's in my case files, um, things like that. Um, my mother passed away as well. Um, I've heard, you know, different things about how that happened. Um, you how know, old were you? I, I don't even know. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so that that that's the, the the part that I'm I'm still very unclear about, and um, you know, I, I will say, it still leaves a mark on you. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's very tough, but at the same time, I'm very fortunate to have been adopted with my sister, which is, you know, I'm sure if you've you know done some research on the foster care system, is very rare as well, especially since she was my and by sister. an Afghan family, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So I was very fortunate. Knock on wood. You know, I lived with um, some foster families. I grew up uh, with a black foster family in, in particular in this area in in the Bay, and um, grew up going to church in the whole nine, and um, eventually adopted. And I think that uh, the state of California, the state of New York and, you know, the counties all try to make a concerted effort to, you know, place us with the, you know, culturally similar families. So what are your memories of coming here to California, growing up here in California? I think you grew up in Fremont. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, What's funny is I, you know, I don't know how old I was, but I all I remember is the cold of New York. Right. I know um, as a kid here, especially in foster care, um, our, our foster family was, was was a decent family. You know, every, everyone has their pros and cons. And um, I remember Christmas in particular. I remember even my third grade birthday, right, where I, I tied my own shoe. Um, I remember dealing with a social worker a lot, going to the doctors a lot, um, and uh, riding my little tricycle, if you will, right? And then I even remember, um, you know, kind of meeting our new family, if you will, right? Um, so that's, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand it, right? Yeah. How old were you? I, I think under 10, okay. um, but not 100% sure exactly what age. But I, I just, you know, because you're, you know, for example, my, my parents who've raised me, um, my dad will always say, you learned, you know, the, the your native tongue, your mother's tongue, if you will, um, because you thought the dog only spoke that because they spoke, you know, Farsi to uh, the dog. And I'm trying to like, you know, say, come here. But, you know, uh, things like that. So I've always been a dog lover. And, and that's that's another big thing that, you know, is very big part of my childhood, if you will. Yeah. So did you feel st- stability after you guys got adopted? And I mean, it sounds like you refer to them as your family. Yeah. No, my parents, you know, I think they, they did a, you know, I'm going to say decent job. Um, I think that, you know, there there's... There's a lot of taboo about adoption, right? It's a lot of taboo, especially with tribal families and, and you know, old cultures, you know, that do care about bloodlines and things like that. So it, it it's not always easy. There's a lot of, you know, um, you know, 
descriptive words we can use that, you know, we'll just ignore at this moment. But um, it is difficult in some regard. But for the most part, it allowed me to at least understand that, you know, one, I'm Afghan, you know, uh, because I was primarily living with a black family. Right. Um, And so understanding the cultural differences, we both my sister and I really didn't understand race as much as maybe other people did until we were in high school, realistically. Right. Mm. Um, And when 9-11 happened, you know, my father was like, you know, you have to understand where you come from, how people see you, things like that, because people use it against you. Um, And so I learned a lot through that. Yeah, I was going to say that must have been kind of an awakening of you know you're Afghan now, right? That suddenly becomes something that, you know, people at school, friends uh, realize. What was that like, both the 9-11 and then the, the invasion, the years, yeah. you know, the years since? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I really honestly didn't really understand, you know, the, the, the impact you know, um, I, I saw the video just like everybody else did in the Bay Area. You know, you see um, the catastrophe that on a human level, right? You see the buildings destroyed. You see all of that. But, you you know, you don't understand why people are automatically blaming, you know, people that look like you or from the region or anything like that. And we know that Afghans were not involved in this, right? And so, you know, you're just trying to understand it just as much as anybody else. But you're also a kid, too. So you still don't understand the weight that it had in this world and in our generation. Right. So this this was our generation's Pearl Harbor. Right. Let's be honest about that. Right. And so it's, you know, but I'll be honest when I go and talk to students in schools um, and I bring this up, I had students ask me, what is 9-11? So and wild. I was like, OK, I feel very old at this moment yeah. right? um, because the fact that some kids haven't learned it yet. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, for I mean, us, I've had to explain it to my kids. Yeah. It's <laughs> fine. You, I, I'm like, wow. And then I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. My kids yeah, are six right? and nine. They don't know. Yeah. So I was like, oh, what year were you born again? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, you realize that they're a lot younger than you. So um, it, it's been it's been you know, I always take it as chapters in your life, right? You learn things, you you move on, and then you also turn the page, right? Because you have to continue to grow, continue to learn, and, and continue to, um, you know, see the next chapter, if you will. Yeah. So I know um, your adopted family had a family business, and I think you worked there, and it was hit really hard during the Great Recession. Um, talk about your experience, you know, working, working at, was oh, it a shop? Yeah, yeah, or? yeah. So it was a retail, um, it was largely retail. Um, and uh, honestly, it's, it's backbreaking work, right? Working retail. I, I give kudos to everybody that has ever worked in customer Everyone service. Everyone should work and, in retail. Yes. You know, you learn very quickly. Um, they didn't that, have you in the cashier spot. They had you. I, I, I've done it all. Oh, okay. Just because it's, you know, a family <laughs> business, you kind of, I, and I actually expanded my, my, my parents' business in multiple cities at the time, right? And what, were they, what, what were you all selling? Uh, everything from like accessories to shoes to, you know, handbags, you name it, like was okay. pretty much across the board. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, my my mother's family had a lot of businesses as well. So like it was kind of like a small business kind of family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn everything. You Physical labor is, is there. S- small businesses, there are no real rules. Right. You don't take a 30 minute break, an hour lunch, you know, things like that. None of that exists. Right. Especially you're, not if you're the kid. Yeah. The you're working 12 hours. <laughs> we worked both my sister and I and I will say my sister probably worked more. And um, it does build a work ethic. Um, every weekend, every summer, every holiday, we were working, right? Um, and so uh, I, I see that now, and it, 
his amazing work. You know, my, my dad, for example, always put us in a position where he goes, I want you guys to really know how it is to work with everyday people all the time at every level. And I do believe that I've learned that. I know my sister has as well. And it also makes you constantly, because if you're an entrepreneur, you are constantly motivated to to pursue the next goal, right? Whatever that may be. So uh, I see that in my own you know, capacity as well. So how did that all translate into a desire to get into public office? Right. I know, obviously, the business was hit hard by the Great Recession. I think you all ended up losing your home yes. during those years. So was that, was that all yeah. a factor in like ultimately pushing you into public service? Yeah, you know, um, at, at that time, I was doing I was working at my parents um, spot on the weekends. And then um, I also held down a full time job Monday through Friday while I was going to school. So I paid my way th- the entire time. But, um, you know, the economy was starting to tank. My parents were a little bit more strapped for cash. Um, so I was helping significantly. And, um, you know, retail is the first to go. When you're thinking about cutting back, you're, okay, I don't need that. I don't want that. You know, I shouldn't buy that. So um, that's what really happened. And we saw the decline over a course of so many years. Gentrification also changed the clientele, um, which, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, but it does hurt the the community as well. Um, And then housing has become obviously an issue. And millions of Americans lost their home. It's not just my family, right? And um, when you take a look at that, uh, you know, having to downsize so quickly, right, and it causes obviously personal tensions. And, you know, my parents eventually divorced and the whole nine. And you, you take a look at that and you see, OK, what can I do? I was I was laid off eventually. I was hired back like six months later or something like that. But, it, you know. You kind of change that chapter again. I like as I, I always kind of give a reference to, and um, you know you're thinking, okay, what can I do? How can I better myself? How can I um, make myself more marketable? Things like that. I went and got my master's right in business, and um, and the economy was still down. It was very hard to find a job under a political science degree. I'm just going to be very frank about that to my political science majors, and. Um, Eventually, I was I was attending meetings. Trump got elected, and I was always involved throughout my childhood to my adulthood, um, involved in community service. That's a big core um, issue in my family, from winter coat drives to you know Afghan orphan kids to um, food drives here locally. You name it, we did it right. So that was never a problem you know, volunteering for campaigns, things like that. It was always an interest. But the more I got involved and then when I saw, you know, Trump just basically, you know, um, I'm going to say destroy a lot of the fabric of our society, of respect, of dignity, of inclusion, if, you know, you name it. Um, uh, I, I felt that I needed to get more involved because my city council wasn't reacting to some of the the problems that were ha- happening in our city, like housing, right? Yeah. Um, so, All yeah. Right. I want, to, I want to talk about housing, but if you're just joining us, you are listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Guy Marzarati. Our guest is Hayward City Council Member Ayesha Wahab, who appears headed to the state Senate. So you just mentioned housing, and I think that's a great segue because you are considered the more lefty progressive candidate. You come from, you know, Hayward, Fremont, Milpitas, these places that have been seen as, you know, really sort of the crux of a suburban life in the Bay Area and housing is a huge flashpoint, right? NIMBYism, this this question. Like, what is happening when folks like you and Alex Lee I was gonna are say, doing so well I'm a there? voter in the district 
you won, Alex Lee won. Like, what's happening? Yeah, what, what is the deal? Um, well, you know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that our politics are identical. And I think that, you know, when we slap labels like progressive and things like that, we put people in a box, right? And and that, that was actually one of my biggest frustrations in Sacramento is that they didn't actually look at the policy. They looked at the labels, right? And it's easy to, to call somebody who's a person of color and relatively younger than the average, you know, elected official and say, okay, progressive category, right? Um, I have a business background. I've been very, very um, careful to thread the needle on the actual issues, right? So whether it's housing, whether it's public safety, whether it's whatever, I move the ball forward, right? Um, but I also make sure that everybody's included, everybody's at the table, and everybody agrees. So my policies have passed unanimously, right? Whether we're talking about independent investigation for police officers or the complete removal of mental health and homeless calls from PD and given to our paramedics or um, housing at all income levels and more affordable housing and rent stabilized So you think units. you're talking about this in a different way? Because, like, y'all brought a navigation center to your city at a time when that was a real hot button issue. Like, how are you talking to voters who may not have historically been supportive of building more affordable Most housing, people demonize homeless individuals, yeah. right? Um, the unhoused population actually are working poor. Um, many of them actually uh, have veterans assistance, social security, some disability, whatever the case is, they are earning. Um, and it's it's not just a development issue when you know people like to talk about build, build, build. It's really not that. It's also an affordability crisis. So if we have in Alameda County about 9,000, you know, 747 homeless individuals and 30,000 vacant units, we can house those people, right? So what are we doing? What is an area that we are not focused on, right? And so um, when I talk about it in like, like this with data, with facts, and not demonizing the opposite or opposing side or whoever yeah. as the other, um, people understand it in a different way. I know you've talked about, you know, threading the needle, bringing a small business lens to the state legislature, but the Chamber of Commerce, businesses, they spent millions of dollars to try to make sure you would not win this seat. So I guess what's the difference voters would be getting with a candidate like yourself who brings that kind of labor backing into this versus, you know, your opponent in that race who did get a lot of uh, endorsements and money from folks like the Chamber of Commerce? Like what's going to change? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was very disappointed seeing um, the amount of money that was flooded um, this race. But number two is also the fact that I, I believe that they were deeply misguided and misinformed. Right. And um, the honest truth about big business and we're talking about big business. OK, there's so a that's separ- the difference. Yeah, yeah. there's a clear separation of small business versus big business, right? Small businesses are the moms and pops that we go to for like getting a donut or getting your nails done or things like that. Um, Big business are industries that can pay for lobbyists that really don't play by the same rules, don't pay taxes, um, and are constantly looking to kind of get um, an extra dollar squeezed out of something, right? Um, So I believe that they don't want to be held accountable. And it's not one industry. It's across the board. Right. Um, And you saw PG&E put in a lot of money there. Why? Right. When, you know, you see some of the disasters that are happening in our state because of faulty um, work or, um, you know, the lack of, you know, taking a look at how the environment is working and so forth. Housing. Right. I'm, I'm actually very pro development, but also what are we developing? How are we developing? How does it affect our community? Um, so many different other questions that are not being asked by your average um, elected official, right? So I think that there's a clear difference there. I do want to work with everybody. I want to hear their side, but I also want them to be held accountable and understand that we are one community. We do have to help each other kind of, you know, succeed. 
Yeah. Well, assuming the numbers hold and you take the Senate seat, you will be sworn in and immediately potentially thrown into the special session on an oil windfall profit tax. I I don't the the governor hasn't even put out a fact sheet yet, so I'm not expecting a vote in a couple of weeks, but there will be a conversation. And as Guy mentioned, business plays big and it's not just it doesn't break along Republicans versus Democrats because there's so many Democrats. There's a lot of folks in Sacramento um, especially from districts like in the Central Valley where oil has played big because those are big jobs there. I'm just curious, like, how you would approach that. Like, it, it's a big ask to get to two thirds on a tax vote at the beginning of a legislative session. How would you talk to, you know, a colleague who may be worried about the jobs in their district, but, you know, is also concerned about climate change? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that for for First and foremost, we need all the facts, right? You, you know, you can't just, you know, just because you you think you know something, right? You need to see the facts. You need to be able to ask questions. Your colleagues, you know, as much as they care about the jobs in their district, I care about the jobs in their district, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, the policies we make is for all of California, not just our district, right? So we really need to have that full statewide lens, number one. Number two is, you know, when we talk about equity issues, a lot of those jobs are unionized. They, they have a lot of... Of usually lower income individuals that have historically moved into that industry to be able to obtain a six figure job and support right. their families, right? I fully support that, right? But how do we get those industries to um, move into a cleaner um, energy, right? Uh, cleaner technology, cleaner usage of you know some some you know new effort, if you will, right? How do you get them to invest? So I think that I would just work with my colleagues to understand their fears and kind of see if we can kind of incorporate that into policy, right? Which is the whole goal of a state senator. Yeah. Finally, before uh, we wrap up and let you go, what do you do for fun? And what are you going to be doing for some relaxation in the I don't know few weeks you have before it's right up to business in, in Sacramento? So we're being trained right now. So it's I wouldn't say it's relaxation time right now, even though it's, you know, Thanksgiving and so forth is coming up. Um, honestly, I kind of want to catch up on some movies that I haven't been able nice. to watch. Right. Um, so uh, big movie buff. Really, really enjoy that. And so I'm what's just, your number one choice that you haven't gotten to see yet? I, I haven't seen uh, the Black Panther movie. Right. I, I know that's Wakanda forever. Yeah, I, I do want to. I was going to call it Wakanda forever. <laughs> right. I have not seen that yet. And it's around this time that all the Oscar nominated films kind of slowly come out. So I, I do want to spend a lot of time just watching movies. All right. That is Aisha Wahab, uh, the potentially soon senator elect from District 10. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Thank so much. you so much. And that's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Guys, our producer and our engineers are Seal Muller and Chris Hoff. I'm Guy Marzarati. And I'm Marisa Lagos. See you next time. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.